It is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And this is Geek Top 5! Yay! And we just wanted to call that out because we don't actually have any Star Trek news, but happy birthday, Star Trek. Happy birthday. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And these are the top five things you need to know to be a geek this week. Coming in at number five, although in a way I wish we could make it higher, Bill Nye the Science Guy is coming back. Yeah. Uh, he's getting his own show on Netflix, Bill Nye Saves the World, coming in 2017. Bill Nye was our favorite science teacher growing up, mainly because he, we only had to see him a half hour a week. And, yeah. Uh, I didn't realize, though, there were a hundred episodes wow. of the show. I felt like I had seen them all, but I must have seen like 30. Yeah. Um, this was Bill Nye the Science Guy ran on PBS from 93 to 98. It's a um, good long run. It's yeah, it's a huge run. I didn't know. Bill Nye is a guy. I mean, he like he has a, like a, a bachelor's in mechanical engineering or something. I mean, he's 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 very sciencey. He's very science motivated, and he did this show that's part of all of our growing up. Like, it was the fun educational show. Yeah, this kind of absurdist, almost surrealist sciencey show where he would talk to kids and be really excited about volcanoes and space and what have you. He was really good at making it it not seem like a lecture. Like, yeah. they always seem to be enthusiastic, but not ridiculous, like like Beekman, what is that, Beekman's World? Was that the other one? Yeah, it was a little over the top. No, <laughs> Bill Knight was great. Um, we all watched it as kids, and then when we got into high school, whenever the high school teacher was too lazy to teach something, they'd bring in an episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy. I would sleep through it because we'd already seen it. Right. But that says a lot. We have already <laughs> watched this educational program. Bill Nye was great. Um that's what we all know him from. Since then, he has sort of been a figure... I mean, don't get me wrong. He's actually a scientist. Yeah. Like, he designed I guess, some kind of a... I don't know the details, but some kind of a sundial thing for the Mars rover. You know, he's building things that go into space. He's, he's a real... Been, he's like, been working on his credentials the last, uh, you know, ten years or so. Yeah. But what we've... like, Where we've known him as is that he's always been one of those guys who comes out there... I get, the only word I, I can think of to describe it is that he's a science advocate. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever some lunatic gets out there to talk about flat earth or anti-vaxxers or any of that, a lot of times it's Bill Nye who's willing to come onto the news programs and sort of explain, well, no, we've actually looked into the evidence of this. This is how this works. Like, he was on Larry King Live a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he ta- was, like, he was talking about global warming and UFOs and stuff. There was a great bit on uh, the John Oliver's show last week tonight where they made a whole point of how it's always Bill Nye coming out and refuting these these claims that are being made. and you know, Or, like, the, the global warming stuff. He's always the one that gets put out to defend the, the scientists who say that global warming is a real thing. And uh, John Oliver's whole bit was, like, it shouldn't just be Bill Nye. It's 99% of scientists. He should have, like, 100 people behind him whenever he's debating this one person who denies it. But the difference is between Bill Nye and most scientists is Bill Nye is incredibly charming and incredibly, like, he's personable. He's charismatic. I guess, in case it needs, I think it's William Sanford Nye. Um, (laughs) Which, again, is important to distinguish between who he is as a person and who his, like, persona is. Like, he's, like, he's the, he's, I think he's the CEO of the Planetary Society right now. Like, he, he is a real scientist people. <laughs> he's actually, um, I would say right now he's like the second most famous scientist after Neil deGrasse Tyson. Probably. Certainly the most like well-known in pop culture. Like yeah. the one who's out there. Now, where, so so he's got this new show. It's going to be a talk show that's uh, going to be on Netflix, which is a cool place for it to show up. He's very hip, you know, he's not on PBS anymore with all the lamos. <laughs> he's on Netflix. And he's got some cool people working on it. This, uh, the, a couple of big names on Twitter. Phil, I think it's Platt, He's uh, he's was a science consultant on the show, or will be a science consultant on the show, and he is great at talking about space stuff on Twitter. He's also really funny, and he worked on the Hubble project for NASA, so he's got some pretty good cred. Yeah. And then a the head writer of the show is going to be a guy who was a writer on the Jimmy Fallon show. His name is Mike Drucker. So pretty good credentials there. Yeah, it sounds like it'd be a good show even without the fact that it's also going to be like about real science advocacy. Yeah. Which is, you know, to any geeks out there is super important in a world of, you know, creationism and flat earths. Yeah. Now my my only little concern with this is if there are sort of unscripted parts where he is debating other people, he I, I've seen some debates and stuff with him. He can get very passionate and I feel a little flustered. Whereas someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson Seems so cool, like nothing is going to... He, he's the definition of unflappable, you know? He is just cool as a cucumber the whole time, and Bill and I can get passionate, which is good, but it also might uh, detract from the point he's trying to make. I feel like that's the... 
I mean, intellectual is the wrong word, but I think you know what I mean. I think that's the intellectual way to look at it. Mm. In terms of just the television way to look at it, if you're going to get two people to present their points, you need somebody passionate about it. Right. You know, if the person just sitting here, well, according to the book, the answer is this. No one's paying attention. It's always the demagogue who's, you know, smashing his fists over and over into the podium that gets attention and gets news and gets out there. And you're right. In some way, that's to Bill Nye's detriment. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he says sometimes he says things that get misquoted. Sometimes he says things out of context, and people jump on him for it. And the reason they're jumping on him for it is because he's making such a good point that any time he says something that can be attacked, right, it will. But I think that passion is important in a television program. I'm sure if he's you know, giving a lecture at a university. He probably dials the passion down significantly. Right. You know, William Sanford Nye <laughs> is probably a lot more calm about this than Bill Nye. All right. Well, I'm willing to give it a shot. It's I've got Netflix. I'll check it out when it uh, pops up. It, uh, yeah, so 2017, um, and they're saying, so this is a quote, is each episode will tackle a topic from a scientific point of view, dispelling myths and refuting anti-scientific claims that may be espoused by politicians, religious leaders, or titans of industry. Uh, it sounds like they're very much jumping on these kind of controversial things that yeah. Bill Nye has been dealt with. I'm all for it. I think that's great. I think it'll, if they do it in the, the fashion of like a John Oliver where it's incredibly entertaining at the same time as being educational, I think that is the, the sweet spot they need to aim for. And that's a tough mark to, to hit, but if they can do it. It's true. Oliver hits that pretty well, but there's also this kind of thing of who's John Oliver? Right. Whereas Bill Nye is Bill Nye the science guy. Definitely. I mean, that's, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Coming in at number four, uh, Sony had their PlayStation meeting this past week and announced a couple of new consoles, uh, as we've, we've seen predicted in earlier episodes of Geek Top 5. <laughs> Great show. Uh, they, so they announced a new P- PlayStation 4 Slim, which is fine. It's a PlayStation 4, but it's smaller, has a smaller form factor. This is what PlayStation um, seems to do with every generation. They release a bulky one, and then a couple of years later, they release yeah. a slim version. Does the same stuff. Exactly the same. Doesn't really change anything at all. Uh, one thing they mentioned is that it has almost a third less power consumption. Oh, that's good. Which, on the one hand, who cares? But if you know, you're at the point in your life where we are, where we're paying hydro bills... <laughs> Man, that PlayStation like, it uses up the same amount of electricity as a refrigerator. It's, Yikes. Yeah, so, good move. That's fair. I can see that if I wanted to get a PS4 now, if I didn't already have one, that's the one I'd get. Um, the controversial part, however, is they also announced the PlayStation 4 Pro. Okay, well, before we get into the specs, why Pro? Why are they calling it Pro? What Be- makes this professional versus the other one? Because or is in, it- the techno- in the technology market, we identify consumer technology and we identify professional technology so consumer technology you know a 50 dollars camera or professional technology a 500 dollars camera uh, they're saying that this is the playstation for hardcore people um the question is is it what is exactly. it what does it do different and the answer is not much it's a more powerful system so games will run faster and frame rates will be better um, it supports high dynamic range, but they're going to be applying patches to older PlayStations, so that doesn't matter. Um, you, it's going to be able to support downloading of f- movies to display in 4K, and it will have games what they're advertising but aren't 4K games, which is fun. We'll get back to that. Okay. Uh, in short, it's going to look a little bit prettier and it's a little bit stronger. So, just to to clarify, you said that you can download these 4K movies and TV shows, but one of the the uh, sticking points with this is that you won't be able to get 4K Blu-rays and put them in and have them play at 4K. Nope, won't play 4K Blu-ray discs. Which is interesting because their competitor, the Xbox, their thing hasn't improved the graphics that much, but that is one of the few things they did improve. That's one of the selling points. The new, the new Xbox One next year will play 4K Blu-ray discs. Um, now, Sony's point is that people are buying discs less and less often. Everybody's downloading these days, which is fair. But, I mean, put it this way, the Xbox One coming out next year that does play 4K Blu-ray discs, it's like within $10 of the price range of this machine. So right. what am I paying for? Right. And really, why do I want to play this PlayStation? Like, they keep selling it. It's going to be prettier. It's going to be more powerful. Uh, for those of you who are hardcore, like, techie guys, no, it's not really playing 4K games. They're calling it that, hmm. but they're not displaying in 4K. Listen, modern super, like, super gamers computers, like $5,000 computers with $1,200 video cards, they're struggling to run games at 60 frames per second at 4K right now. Wow. Right? A $400 console is not going to do that. 
What they're doing is it has more pixels than 1080. Okay, I'm not a a hardware kind of guy. Please explain. Put it this way. 4K should, in theory, displays four times the amount of pixels on the screen. As as HD, what we're used to is 1080. So in theory, everything is that much more detailed. Because it's four times as small to fill it. This isn't doing that. It's drawing maybe half that much. And then using a computer program to guess at what those other pixels will be. And sort of filling it out in its, like, you know, it's sort of making it up, essentially. Filling in these gaps. So, to to a layperson or, like, a lazy gamer like I am, will I really notice a difference? Is it going to change anything? Absolutely not. Okay. For starters, let's assume you're a very wealthy lazy gamer, (laughs) so you actually have a 4K TV, and you actually are going to spend the money to replace your already existing PS4 with this PS4 Pro... Even then, you remember when DVDs became Blu-rays and not everyone could really see the difference until TVs got really big? The improvement is even less than that. Really? Yeah. The takeaway from this is why is this thing out there? It doesn't really do anything. It makes things a little bit prettier. Why would I spend that much money to make things a little bit prettier? Is it even important how how pretty it is? You know, Minecraft is one of the most popular games in the last decade. It's not a pretty game. Very true. It has true. nothing to do with the graphics. It doesn't matter how many individual leaves on a tree I can see. Yeah. You know, Pokemon Go? How are the graphics in Pokemon Go? <laughs> are they in 4K? On the other hand, I don't want it to go the other way. I don't want them to start going backwards as far as graphic quality goes. But if they can just stay the same for now, I mean, the the improvements are so minor at this point from generation to generation. It's It's not... All it seems to be doing is making it take longer for games to come out, but the actual gameplay hasn't been improved. Yeah. And really, can you tell the difference between, I mean, even between like, you know, a launched PS4 title and a PS4 title now, they both have good graphics. Yeah. And that's all you really pay attention to. Very rare, and we did know this guy, but very rare is the person who stops playing to examine the leaves on a tree. Uh, here at Geek Top 5, we're voting with our wallets. We're mostly happy with the PlayStation 4s we already have. Yeah. We'll wait. Yeah. So speaking of good graphics... <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one in the world who cares about this. Kingsglaive, Final Fantasy XV, uh, the computer-animated sci-fi fantasy film, came out in limited theatrical release in the West, finally, just this past couple of weeks. It was uh, a month earlier in Japan. So, Final Fantasy XV, just to be clear, that's not out yet, right? That comes out in November. That comes out, the game comes out in November. And this is the game we talked about in a previous episode that had been in development for something like 15 years? Uh, cl- 10 years, Ten and years. a little bit extra <laughs> at this point. It was Final Fantasy XIII when it was announced. Okay, so... Um, so what they've decided to do was, they've apparently they've actually cut, like, Act 1 of the game, and they made it a movie instead, and released it as a movie. So before we get into this, um, they're not entirely strangers to this. This is actually the third Final Fantasy movie, which is fun, because if you don't know the games, you'll have no idea why this is called 15. Um, (laughs) Back in 2001, they released a dedicated movie, a Final Fantasy Spirits Within. You don't remember it. It was in theaters, though. Donald Sutherland was in it. It was like a big deal at the time. They wanted it to be a big deal. It was, I mean, even by the standards back then, the animation was gorgeous. And there was was bus ads. It was everywhere. It was huge. It was a colossal failure. Costs skyrocketed. It cost them $137 million to make in 2001. It made about $85 million back. Like, all told, after theaters, after discs, okay, everything. That's not great. That's not great. And they had such high hopes for this. The, the lead character in this movie, Aki Ross, computer-generated character, but they had designed her with the intention that she would be a digital actress. And they would reuse her in all these great computer-generated movies that would follow the... Yeah, that didn't happen. Okay. It was boring. The characters' motivations weren't interesting. Nothing... Like, it just... It was just a bad film. There's nothing else to it. It's also an animated movie not directed at children. So I think that... It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. So they did that. And that, uh, that, you know, pulled the rug out and they closed Square Pictures after that. Um, A few years later, to... They... Sort of tried again with Advent Children on the Final Fantasy VII movie. Final Fantasy VII being their most famous game of all time. Um, it came out in 2005 and then sort of got a remastered re-release in 2009. This one, they actually made a lot of money on it, but they never bothered to release it in theaters. Like, it wasn't a... Not it, in North America. Did it get a Japanese release? I think there was like a night where it okay. ran. But yeah, this wasn't nearly as big a deal. This one was very much tied into this video game world, maybe addressing that problem you spoke earlier. It also isn't a great film. 
There's a lot of pacing problems. There's a lot of like there's a lot of things that come from people who are used to communicating information through a video game, right? Through a film. Anyway, so this is their third effort. They wanted to make a dedicated movie to introduce this game. Um, it stars Lena Headey, Sean Bean, and Aaron Paul as the voices of the main characters. So it's the Breaking Bad Game of Thrones crossover you always wanted. Exactly. And it sets up this new world. It's not based on anything you have to know previously. It uh, Basically, it's magic ninjas versus guys with tanks and kaijus. Okay. What's a kaiju again? But, like a Godzilla. Okay. It, um, All right, I'm in. Yeah. It sounds good. Um, it definitely highlights the fact that video games aren't movies. Uh, it's, it's as of last night, it had a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Um, the audience reaction is seventy-seven percent, but the only people who are watching this movie are the people who are into Final Fantasy. So I feel like it's not an unbiased score. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I, I, I think I read that uh, between the Japanese box office, theatrical box office, and the American theatrical box office, it's made a grand total of a million dollars. So. There hasn't been a ton of people. People aren't storming the theaters to see no. this. Now, it's not a full theatrical release, either. Not it's, in North America. I think it got a decent-sized one it in Japan. It got a fair amount in Japan, but there's only so many people in Japan. Wow, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I watched it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. If you like to watch like beautifully animated CG people like shoot lightning and throw swords at each other for a while, <laughs> that's what you get. Aaron Paul was good. Okay. He, he's kind of sarcastic, but he's he's your stereotypical gruff hero. Um, Lena Headey was a waste because she plays a completely innocent, naive character. I mean, I might be interested in seeing that just because it's so different from anything she, she normally is cast in. True, but is there any reason to cast her that isn't a Cersei reference? Yeah. Yeah. And Sean Bean plays an ailing king, which is a spoiler. Let's face it. it uh, you, you Sean know, Bean, well known for dying in just about every movie. He just appears about in. every movie. Spoiler alert: he doesn't make it to the end. <laughs> uh, it's actually gruesome, but any case, uh, it's it's fun and it's silly, but it doesn't make any sense. And part of that, it's getting a lot of bad reviews, bad press, because the story seems like it doesn't go anywhere. Which I actually kind of want to defend that because it's very much a prequel for a video game. The story doesn't wrap up because there's 40 hours of story left. Right. So, yeah, some character arcs are resolved. But yeah, the bigger stuff that's happening in this world, we don't understand it all yet. Because it's like being at the end of the first book of Game of Thrones. Or Song of Ice and Fire. There's more books. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of movie critics... well. I, I doubt most of the movie critics who are on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic or whatever are going to end up playing that game. So they went into the theater expecting to get a complete story. Yeah, and they did not. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. They did not. Some character arcs get resolved. Like, this character's story is over. But the story of the world and, like, why we should care about what's happening to this big national scale, yeah, none of that is even okay. remotely wrapped up. So it truly is uh, just, like, an extended cutscene. For the game. Or it's even like... a series of cutscenes. There's a lot of weird cuts. I don't want to use the word cut so much, but like, <laughs> you know, characters will, like, will, will have a conversation and then will cut to another scene in the middle of the conversation. Hmm. And it feels familiar from a video game where characters will have a conversation and then the game will start and you'll play the game as more information is presented. Right. But that doesn't work in a movie. No. It just, they're in the mid- middle of talking and somebody says something dramatic and now we're somewhere else. And we don't know, has time passed? <laughs> or is this the same thing? We don't know what's going on. Like, so, structurally, there are problems with the three-act structure that usually <laughs> people revolve a movie around. So it truly is something where it's like, you have to at least be planning on playing the game to properly appreciate the intricacies of this movie. The intricacies of the plot, sure. Okay. If you want to watch cool monsters fight each other and like teleporting ninjas... You got it. All right. And it was pretty cool. Any case, uh, Geek Top 5, can't recommend it. If you're curious, it's available for digital download off of iTunes and Amazon and PlayStation Store, obviously. We talked about how the movie or the game has taken like 10 years to be developed. Do you think this and the tie-in anime series are them trying to recoup some of that, that long development money? Like make some extra stuff out of this that doesn't rely on making sequel games? Honestly, at this point, I feel like they are so all-in on this game. Like, some of the stuff that takes place in this movie, we saw as trailers from the game years ago. And, like, they've been restructured. Like, there's a scene, and I don't want to avoid spoilers, but there's a scene that's sort of a party, like a fancy ballroom party, 
And we've seen that scene as a trailer from the game like six years ago. Now, of course, the main character from the game isn't there. It's been replaced with this character from the movie. But it's like they've already written that scene and they've already recorded this dialogue. They've already like drawn like you know, all the concept art for this beautiful world. Like they're so heavily invested. Like, okay. Just cutting that away, I, they can't. They can't emotionally and they certainly can't financially. I think they've decided like we have to do something with all this stuff. Okay. Interesting. And they stitched it together into a movie. Also, one character, great hat. <laughs> if that's the only thing you take away from that, this episode, yeah. that should be it. Great hat. <laughs> Number two, Apple had their big, I don't even know what to call it, cult meeting. <laughs> uh, and we heard all about the iPhone 7. We were talking about iterative technology earlier in the podcast. Every time there's a new iPhone, the internet blows up. Um, even if it's one of the interim ones that are just letters and not different numbers. Yeah, like the, the iPhone 5S or 6. Yeah, or the CE. Whatever, yeah. Well, this is the 7. And uh, so what do we get? Like, it's a new phone. Apparently, like, you can't be part of social culture if you don't get this phone. What's this phone? <laughs> well, it's a little bit more black. Uh, so oh, hmm? None more black? <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, so it's faster and more powerful, of course. Um, it's waterproof, they advertise, which I guess is nice. I mean, you know, whenever I mean, I'm deep sea diving and I want to text you guys about it, I, I, uh... I feel like a lot of people have had the issue where it has fallen in a sink or other household body of water. Okay, well, that... And, and the, you know, you have to put it in the rice to fix it. So, I mean, I guess that's a big deal. I mean, how waterproof is it? Like, can you go deep sea diving with it? Or I is doubt it like it. a splash of the tub? The the video they show is like it gets splashed. Like, like someone threw a water balloon at it. And it's totally fine. I mean, I would really like it that to just be standard. Like, that yeah. shouldn't be no, something. I'm not against that feature at <laughs> yeah, all. It's yeah. just like, okay, that seems kind of out of nowhere. But yeah, no, if, it, if I'm caught in the rain with it, it's fine. Uh, so it's got that. Um, it's got new cameras, which... This is, I mean, again, this isn't something I'm interested in, but a lot of people are doing some pretty serious photography on their iPhones, and that's what Apple's been pushing. And this has got it. So it's got two cameras on the back now, and one on the front, which is hilarious. Uh, But the ones in the back, so it's got a 28mm equivalent and a 56mm equivalent. And what they're saying is, so now that you have these two cameras, like you can do lots of fancy stuff, like long exposures and depth of field stuff. And I mean, that's great, but... I, I don't feel like that's a selling feature. Well, but not for us. But it is for, for it is for a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, amateur photography is a big thing these days, especially when you can post it straight to your Instagrams. Yeah. But <laughs> but uh, it's so it's going to take better pictures than ever, and they're very much directing it directly at people who buy those sort of prosumer like Canons and Nikon's. You see, we're wearing them. People who wear them on their lanyard. They're saying yeah, the, the the tourist camera. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They're saying you don't even need one of those anymore. The iPhone 7 can do it. Looks pretty cool. So that's neat. And the one that's generating the most interest is uh, no headphones. And yeah. uh, to be fair, no headphone jack. Right. <laughs> so they, there is already, they. I guess they, they um, already figured there'd be an outcry like this. So yeah. there's uh, it comes with an adapter that plugs into the charging port that you can plug your, your earbuds into. It, like, functions as yeah. a, a headphone And jack. the new Apple headphones come, like, they plug into the lightning port. The port for charging. That's what they yeah. want. So the initial, like, we've known this has been coming for a long time, but we all hoped it was a joke. Uh, the general reaction, on the, the first reaction everyone has is, well, what if I want to charge my phone and listen to my music at the same time? You can't. I also feel like that's really rare, so that's a weird thing to complain about. Well, but my my good lady wife has spoken about how she listens to music on her phone while she's at work, and so... You know, that that's not going to last all day if you're not charging it. And she has to wear earbuds or earphones because she's at work. So she has it plugged in, charging with her computer yeah. while she's listening on her headphones. So it does happen. So it does happen. She can't do that anymore. Right. What You can, you can buy their, you know, their lightning port headphones, or you can buy the adapter, which takes up the lightning port. Right. Um, great. Another piece of proprietary technology that Apple can sell us. Um, they asked about that. They said, Apple, what the hell? And the quote here, the analog headphone jack has been with us for a very long time, but the reason to move on is courage. The courage to move on and do something new that betters all of us. Yeah, the courage to sell us exclusive <laughs> headphones and headphone adapters that only you control. How courageous, Apple. Go, yeah. come on. 
<laughs> Did anybody buy that line? Yeah, I mean, it's like... The reason why everything has an analog headphone jack is because that technology works. It's mm-hmm. easy, it's cheap, it can be repaired. This, you're saying, we're moving off of that now to our own connector. Well, your own connector is only a couple years old, and nothing's going to stop you from changing it again in a couple of years. So all the cool headphones you buy now that plug into the lightning port can be made... You, all of them have, will have to be replaced just like that. Ah, and I hear you saying, but what if I don't want to use cables at all? What if I want to use wireless headphones? One, I've never used a pair of wireless headphones I was happy with. Either like you know, just radio or infrared or Bluetooth. There's sound compression, there's sound loss, there's signal interference. It's never been... And again, I'm a bit of a sound junkie. I'm that guy when I, you know, like from 16, I started buying like Sennheisers or Bose. Like the, the noise cancellation on Bose headphones these days. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm like... I can't stand the sound quality on those crappy little packaged inbox earbuds. I like sound. I can't get that from wireless, from Bluetooth, and I'm not going to. And quite frankly, wireless standards are changing all the time, too. So right. just like the lightning cable, these wireless ones, in two years from now, they're going to invent the new Apple tooth, and they're not going to be able to be used again. Now, I, on the other hand, am totally fine with earbuds. I love the earbuds that come with the Apple stuff. They're they're expensive, but the free ones that come with the original packaging are, are great. They, they last a long time. But I am not the most careful person in the world. I half the reason I haven't lost my earbuds is because there's a cord I can wrap around the iPod itself and keep in my pocket. Right. If I have to keep track of two tiny little earbuds everywhere I go, I'm going to lose them. It just it's a it's going to happen. I, I and they are going to listen, Graham. It's no problem. We'll sell you new ones. So these these I believe these wireless ones that they're selling are going for a hundred and sixty dollars. A hundred and sixty for wireless earbuds. earbuds, not not even full over the ear headphones for the tiny little plastic pieces of crap that you have to jam into the side of your head. Yeah, and this courage thing is BS. It's yeah. planned obsolescence. Very disappointed in you, Apple. You should be ashamed. On to number one. So leave the griping behind. <laughs> Interplay Entertainment was founded in 1983. Um, they're a video game company that made just... You'd be surprised how many games you played when you were a kid came from Interplay. The, yeah. The Baldur's Gate games that all us D&D freaks played, that was Interplay. Um, the Descent games, the the spaceship where you go through the 3D tunnels, that was Interplay. The Interplay has fallen on some hard times recently, and now, we haven't seen a lot of that stuff yeah. yet. Uh, they're not making any money. There have been lawsuits. There have been failed Kickstarters. And they've been slowly bleeding intellectual properties, like Fallout being the great example. of The Fallout went to Bethesda, yeah. and they made a Fallout game. And Descent was just sold to people who were doing a, their own sort of Descent Kickstarter, right? Yeah, like just a fan thing. Um, to, their time is finally up. They're selling their catalog of intellectual properties. Um, Which is, that's sad. I, I don't yeah. want them to go away. They've made some cool stuff. I think so. I, like, you know, those people, like the, the actual artists behind these games made things I really like. It's sad that company's going away, but it's also good news because now that some companies that are you know actually still making stuff, yeah, a bit more can, stable, yeah, can st- pick up these franchises and start bringing them out, and we can see some of this stuff again. I mean, you know, you mentioned Free Space, Descent, Free Space. There are only two of them. It was a space fighter sim. You think like X Wing, Tie Fighter, those games, but very story driven. You know, you'd get in mission like you know in those older games, it would be get in your spaceship, fly to this planet, and blow up the ship. So you get in your ship, fly to the planet, and blow up the whatever. <laughs> Descent, Free Space would have things like you know escort this this ship and look out for the enemy cruiser. And you'd get out there, and the enemy cruiser would already have been destroyed by someone else. And what's going on? I don't know. Like fully voice acted, very in, like very interesting stuff would happen. Yeah, very uh, layered, yeah. interesting plots. Like nothing, nothing too simple. You know, it was an actually intriguing story. Yeah, it was fun. Like I would love to see something like that again. But even on top of that, the Interplay franchise that we all want to see again. Do you remember that Interplay made Earthworm Jim? Well, I don't think I would have been able to tell you that uh, before today, but uh, that is Earthworm Jim, I know. Uh, it was for like a year. He was like a cultural touchstone, this, yeah, this the, character. the mid-90s. I think the original game was 1994. Earthworm Jim was supposed to be another well-known mascot character, like Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog, or just like he was going to have television and toys and all this stuff, and they decided to start it with a video game. Earthworm Jim was a riot. Yeah. Um, it's a very surrealist sort of parody of itself. 
Yeah, it's about an, a literal earthworm and a spacesuit falls from space and the earthworm crawls inside and becomes this superhero, basically. Yeah. And he just fights in this world of just... Really, actually, surrealist parody is a good way to put it. I'm thinking, like, the princess character is literally called Princess... What's her name? Mm. <laughs> Like, just as a, a point out that, you know, a lot of times in those days, the rescue the princess trope was really just, you know, just to get you moving. Yeah. Um, and the evil alien queen slug for a butt was the enemy. Very I, mature. Yeah. A mature title. Um, it's It was so much fun. It was out on Super Nintendo on Genesis. It had a couple of sequels. And really, the part of it that I remember best is that he had two seasons worth of a cartoon that was phenomenal. It was a great show. It uh, He was voiced by Dan Homer Simpson Castellaneta. Uh, he had, listen, he had a whole crew of great voice actors, but yeah. Homer Simpson, like, this, <laughs> you can tell this was not, like, sort of your second-rate, like, this was a full attempt to make a great show. It It's so underrated. I loved Earthroom Jim. I still know the theme song, Off by Heart. It was really good, and it had a great, you know, the great comic books. There were all sorts of stuff attached to it. In fact... I, even though it started with the video game, and I remember playing the video game and not being very good at it. Like, I don't remember getting... It was hard. It was a difficult game. I And for such a silly concept, it was like... They went over and above making it difficult, because I don't think I got past more than, like, one or two levels. But the TV show really saved it for me. It was a great show, and I remember watching it, like, every Saturday morning. No. So, now this means we might get some more Earthroom Jim. I mean, he's been a dormant figure as far as, like one of these cultural touchstones, which I keep saying this episode, from the 90s, uh, that hasn't been... We haven't seen anything with them. And, you know, movie studios, comic book companies, everything. They're just, like, rehashing everything they can from back then to try everything. and make into something new. I so, mean, you know, I'm as excited about Marvel Runaways as you are, but really? Marvel Runaways and you didn't make Earthworm Jim? <laughs> I just It's such a bizarre... And like, everything about it is so funny. I mean, one of the attacks in the game... Like, it's a big, like, spooper spacesuit, and the little worm popping at the top of the neck. Like, one of the attacks is the suit reaches up, takes the worm out, and attacks with it like it's a whip, and puts it back in. Yeah. Like, it just these things that don't make any sense, that are just like, everything is a joke within a joke within a joke. And I just, it, it highlights for me how, how much attachment I have to fictional characters, and not people in real life. <laughs> in any case, you've been listening to Geek Top 5. Uh, we'll be right back with our a very special, special guest segment, so please stay tuned. Welcome back to Geek Top 5. We have another Geek Top 5 first. We are conducting a new style here. We're trying a roundtable. And we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. The most important topic to Roundtable. The most important topic. And uh, we've got our top five Star Trek The Next Generation analysts here to discuss <laughs> it. It's me and Jesse, obviously. And uh, we've got our old friend Dan Zayance. Hello there. Our old friend Jeff Goodman. Hi. And our even older friend Jonathan Stephen. Hello. So, let's start... Guys, by uh, some reminiscence, rem reminiscence. When when did you start watching Star Trek: The Next Generation? I started watching Star Trek: Next Generation before I was old enough to know how old I was. Um, <laughs> I I remember like one of my earliest memories is of being a toddler and and I, like and like how do you remember you were a toddler? Like I had to struggle to get up the stairs. Like, I needed to use my hands to pull myself up, and I remember getting into my mother's room, and she was watching what I now recognize to be the climactic scene of Encounter at Farpoint. And that's with, one of your first memories? That's one of the oldest memories I have, wow. is the scene with the jellyfish, the, the, the Farpoint station turns oh, into the creature. Was this the first uh, run? Like, it was the first... I'm not certain. It must have been, like, you know, eight, like 87 is when it premiered, so you would have been... Two. Two. I don't know if you can have yeah. memories. I, I don't know that I would have been that moving around. Maybe. Impressive. But actually your first memory. It's one of the oldest memories of all time is of, <laughs> of Next Generation hilarious. being on. I See, the thing about the, the release dates and whatnot has made me think, like, I, I thought I watched it as it aired, but I must have been watching reruns because yeah. I was way too young to actually remember these things. Dan, Jeff, Steve, when, when did you start? I, I was definitely watching reruns of it. Pretty much like after it was like after school, there was like a lineup of like 
you know, next gen, and then like DS9, and they had the whole, they run the whole gamut. You know? Okay. So that's pretty much when I started, but it wasn't really like in sequence. I kind of watched them, you know. Well, that's the thing with reruns, right? Like they didn't necessarily air in order. Yeah. They didn't like they're all kind of all over the place. And that's one of the good things about next gen, where you don't really need to watch it. Yeah, episodic. That's- I remember being, I, I must have been around 9 or 10, so so well, not quite a toddler, but, but still uh, still pretty young. And I remember um, hanging out with my older cousins who were really into the show at the time. And it was kind of through them that, that I got into it. I do remember being pretty picky about which episodes I liked. And, and at the time, it was mainly the ones where the Enterprise actually got to blow stuff up. Which, as you all know, are very few and far between. <laughs> yeah. That changed as I got older, and I kind of... You learned to appreciate. Yeah. 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 But as a kid, you know, it was all about the action episodes, which weren't many. And I'd probably have to say that uh, around the same age as Jeff there is when I I really got taken with the show. And um, just so many uh, nerdy memories, uh, in in particular what I mean by that is uh, a grade four assignment, uh, Name Your Hero and I named Commander Riker as my... <laughs> yeah. That's such a poor choice in retrospect, too, what? by the way. Riker's fantastic. All right. He's, he's got the main some redeeming qualities. But, uh, you know, had the whole... Or his ambojitsu skills. <laughs> um, and the way he conquers chairs. Yeah. And his uh, tilty head. But, you know, you got a, a variety of options to choose from throughout history. I chose uh, from fiction and, and went to Commander Riker. I just... Uh, and obviously, over the years, you know, just uh, the as as John was saying, the multiple series as well. So uh, it just uh, started early, like many of you, and uh, boy, it hasn't it hasn't stopped. So I, Jesse, you had a, a parent who introduced you to it, intentionally or otherwise. I had a parent who introduced me to it. Steve, you sort of found it on TV. So what what appealed to you about it? I don't know. I guess it was the the ship battles, as Jeff mentioned. That was really it was the, the it was, ship battles were terrible. On yeah, that I know, show. but at the time, <laughs> well, like nine year old me, I was I was impressed by them. I mean, uh, you know, I'd never seen anything like that on TV before. I so I, you know, yeah, when you back think about it, what else was on TV at the time, yeah. like that was a really was, high budget show, like yeah. models, and yeah. like there's a lot happening. It was that and Hercules, pretty much. <laughs> at least that was, that was my, my Fair show enough. Was at the time. You must have loved Andromeda, which was like Hercules crossed with Star Trek. Listen, nobody loved Andromeda. <laughs> That's fine. What about you, Dan? What, how did you get into it, Like, if you didn't have someone introducing it to you? Uh, well, I think the ships were a big part of it. I always remember being obsessed with and wanting to have a phaser, to have a tricorder, all the gear that yeah. they had. I remember really nerding out. I used to build that stuff out of Lego, oh, nice. um, and uh, and uh, just uh, you know, I think that's what really got me early on. I have a, a brother who's about five years younger than me, and we used to take at like the cottage. We'd take the the you know cottage chairs. What do you call those? The Muskoka chairs. The Muskoka chairs. chairs. Yeah. yeah, and we'd set them up on our, our lawn like Captain Picard and Commander Riker, and oh, like we spaced had, apart uh, like yeah. rich stations. Yeah. yeah, and we had we found rocks that looked reasonably like phasers, and we'd carry them around and play and we'd together. Have somebody shake the camera, and you'd jump. Yeah. And <laughs> we just shook each other. <laughs> and that really interests me. Like when you think about the traditional things that should appeal to children of that age. I mean, I guess we were just hyper dorks, but yeah, like even even then we were watching it, you know, for the ship battles, for the action, and the but there wasn't that much. No, and no. when you're wearing, but we kept watching. But when you're wearing a com badge or carrying a tricorder, you're not shooting someone with it. You're pretending like, and this really happened. I remember playing with a toy tricorder and like analyzing Scanning. my parents' basement. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I could press the button; it would make the yeah. sound. And I, for some reason, that was fun. I, I don't know. fun of him, but I did the exact same thing. <laughs> we all did. I Hey, I was even more low-tech. I was doing rocks. Rocks! <laughs> <laughs> but somehow, like, instead of playing cops and robbers, they made, you know, like, checking the checking the air quality on the alien planet really oh, fun yeah, and interesting. Cool. I, I yeah. gotta say, a lot laser of... Laser weapons. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you of all people should know. I, listen, I did have the phaser, but yeah. I also okay. had the tricorder. I've got to say, when my brother and I played, there weren't a lot of exploratory missions. There were a lot of, like, Borg beaming aboard and us fighting them off sort of missions. But still, we were playing Star Trek Atlantic. We were pretending to be diplomats and explorers in our backyard. And I can't imagine that flying these days. Is that just me being cynical? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, And yeah, the ships had a big part of it. 
You know, I definitely had the light and sound starships, a few of them. The you know the Enterprise and the the Klingon the Vorcha the battle cruiser yeah. and I remember like much later when the Generations came out when the D gets destroyed they reissued like exactly the same toy but you could press a button on I it had that and one. pieces of the hull would fly <laughs> off I had that one and it's, it was like battle damage Enterprise that was so cool to me as a kid like it's like it's really happening like it's really changing and like, it you just... did love Transformers though so there's precedence for that well that's true. But just the fact, like the fact that something that happened on the show reflected—I mean, it happened in the movie—reflected on this toy that I had. I, I mean, that's a really strong memory. That was really cool. But it also, I feel like, introduced a lot of not higher concept, but like kind of more creative ideas just to a lot of children at the time, I guess, because we, we were all quite young. I think there's Things like time loops and and time travel and some more, you know, mm-hmm. esoteric. I, I definitely watched all good things the day it aired. Yeah, that yeah, I, was, I, I remember, remember looking that forward to it. That, yeah. That's and the final episode. The final episode of Next Generation, which deals with sort of a time travel thing, and like and it was the, pretty mind blowing. Yeah, the the con- I was fascinated by the concept, and just the I, I or oh, what's the name of the episode where where they're stuck in the in the loop and with um, Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer. Grammer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the name of that episode either, but I, it's a good one. And yeah. It's such a cool concept. Yeah, and still is. Like, yeah, that, that was especially you know as kids that was that was pretty is that incredible. Reliving like the Enterprise gets destroyed at the end. Yeah, of it? they basically yeah. redo the same five yeah, minutes. That's a great and I over have and vivid again. memories of the first time I saw that episode and, and thinking that they were starting over again. Yeah, like something yeah. was wrong, like, with, the wrong with the TV because they're yeah, just doing yeah. the same thing again. Yeah. And then when it clicked, it was like this: "Whoa, this is so cool!" moment that you know. What do you I guess it could only get from from good sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, that level of dedication to like an interesting concept. Rather than just like you know, something exciting happens. Yeah. What do you make of uh, speaking of what you're saying about sort of the benefits for like young kids somehow getting tuned into that? What do you make of that idea that like it introduced kids to vocabulary too that they wouldn't obviously got the uh, the Star Trek fictionalized vocabulary that no one would ever use, but then you've got like some terms in there that are pretty complex, and I feel like it introduced you know kids to to vocabulary they might not even. I know it's obscure. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I mean, Ninja Turtles gave me cowbunga, dude, <laughs> and pizza. Pizza time. And uh, this gave me, like, string theory and uh, diplomacy. inertial and dampeners. And <laughs> Again, a lot of that is sort of Star Trek hand wavium. Um, true. But I think it also introduced a lot of... Impulse um, engines. Uh, being picked on and getting beat up as kids too, right? Well, yeah, that, that <laughs> might have happened. Using some be, of that terminology, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about that part. <laughs> okay, so so Dan, you you said you had a, a little hero worship for uh, Commander Riker when you were initially watching them. Anyone else have a, a favorite character from the main crew who really stood out for them? Worf. Worf was your guy. Worf was my guy. How do you go like? This is again. We're breaching topics here, but I know your favorite Ninja Turtle was Donatello, who's all about brains and, yeah. and using smart stuff. And Worf is like as opposite as possible. Well, early Worf, yeah, is a problem. Pretty one dimensional. Growly Worf is a problem. Later Worf is sort of he's the cool, interesting guy who's not like anyone else. Okay. And a lot of Worf episodes are kind of like, well, this is weird. We don't understand it because it's a Klingon thing. Let's learn more about it. Yeah. And he's really uncomfortable because no one sort of gets his thing. You know, it, it just mm. we we talked before way back in the other one you, episode you appeared in about the Anbu Jutsu episode. Worf has an arc in that where it's like a Klingon anniversary thing. Right, the pain sticks. Yeah, the pain right sticks. Of ascension. <laughs> the right of right ascension. Right of ascension. Yeah. And they and they sort of have to rationalize like, well, Worf wants to do this. And it's part of his culture, and he's our friend, but we don't want to hurt him. But he wants to be hurt. And I remember thinking, like, like it was just really fascinating because you had to think differently. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the yeah. best next-gen episodes, I feel, were, were Klingon-centric, where you get to learn about that culture a little bit more and... And it's it's another important lesson from Next Gen is the acceptance of other cultures and learning about other cultures. And I think that's yeah. a, an important lesson from the show that, yeah. that gets instilled subtly in the viewers, We're, especially when you're at such a young age. The, you know, the one where Picard becomes Worf's representative. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's exactly. like the lawyer. <laughs> Which in Klingon terms involves a lot of hand-to-hand combat, ironically. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's a Duras episode. A start of a, a recurring arc through the yeah. show. That's phenomenal. Yeah, a good one. Yeah. 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 Right. I, John, how about you? Uh, I think for me, it was probably early on. It was probably Data. 
Yeah. Just because he was so unique, like, on the show, and I'd yeah, never seen anything like that. And I, I, I remember one of my, like, early recollection, uh, recollections of the show was, like, the one where he's on trial, and they're trying to figure out if he's... Oh, such like, a good Measure of a man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah, fine, yeah. It, like, it does, is he a person? Will, does yeah. he have rights? Yeah. And I just found that fascinating, because I'd just never seen... You know, it was just so well thought and don't out. Don't they make and Riker argue like? Yeah, because of a technicality, yeah, Riker and he re- he wants to refuse, but it's his duty yeah. to like prosecute. And at, like at the oh, height right. of his prosecution, he switches data off. Yeah, and, it, and he feels awful about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that is still to this day a really excellent example of science fiction yeah. and analyzing well, it. And that's a recurring yeah. theme in sci-fi. For, right to this day, yeah. we still see what's human, what's a robot. Yeah. But I don't think it's ever been articulated quite that well. Usually the, the robots are sort of a villain type or something to be feared. Data was never feared by, by anyone. He was, mm. he was childlike and he was helpful. All he was there to do was help. That's all he wanted to do. And to have him be at the center of it, it really made you empathize with him and empathize with, with his desire to, to not be seen as an object. It, it was really good. They really similarly well. did that well when he built his own daughter, right? Yes. That was yeah. a great oh, episode was, yeah. as well. It touched on similar issues. Yeah. Yeah, they did, they did, yeah that good good choice. Yeah, that was, <laughs> like, I remember that vividly because that was yeah. great. And, but, I mean, later on it was it was more, more Picard just because I, you know, I just, he's awesome. Yeah. But, I mean, commanding presence, like... Can't yeah. go wrong. Like, Data was but, also a favorite of mine because he was also, in a lot of ways, the comic relief. He was the fish out of water in a lot of ways, right. and he. Mm-hmm. Th- I always loved characters like that that made you, you laugh, and he had some of the best lines in the the show. And Brent Spiner is the actor who plays him right. is really funny in his yeah. own right. So there were some episodes where he was just the timing hilarious. was amazing. Yeah. yeah, like the little quirks and like yeah. just. Yeah, it was fantastic. I always enjoyed the episodes where um, his his creator was in the episode as well because that was also played by Brent Spiner. Right? Yeah, um, Noonien yeah. Soon. Dr. Soon. Yeah. yeah, and it was really cool getting to see him actually act outside of the Data character. Cause... Well, there's one episode where he the signal goes off and Data escapes from the ship. He like breaks out of the ship and steals a shuttlecraft or right. something. And he goes and he goes to the the place where, where Doctor Soon created. is. It's actually not where he was created. In this episode, uh, it was a, a planet where Soong has been hiding. He thought Soong was dead. Nice. But Soong's there, and he's alive, and it's Brent Spiner in makeup. And then Data's evil twin brother, you know, let's get yeah, past that. Lore. But his evil twin brother, Lore, shows up. So it's Brent Spiner interacting with Brent Spiner, interacting with, with Brent, Brent Spiner <laughs> in a scene. It's And it's, but, he does it really and, well. But very clearly portraying three different yeah. characters. Yeah. Well, different personalities. Another thing that comes exactly. to mind is the episode where he... He somehow data ends up with all these different personalities within him, and they start to come out and sabotage the ship. Is that where he has the different masks? Yeah, that's yeah. What I was thinking. yeah. yeah. Oh, he becomes the sun uh, god. Yeah, yeah. 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 Kind of cool That's a trippy episode. Where you kind of yeah. take the take the data character and allow him to allow Brent Spiner to actually do his thing and act. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, and he's Picard like is like the, the shaman as well. well it's he's, yeah, and he he like it's like he's ingested, like he's possessed by the mythology of the species. Right, of the entire species. and Picard learns to interact with it, but he ends up talking to all these different characters. Yeah, yeah. but it's all Brent Spiner yes. portraying yeah. it. Yeah, that was solid acting and like a tough role for an actor to pull off. Right? Yeah, and he does it well. Like when you're ten years old, you don't really care. But yeah, looking yeah. back on it, it's still that was really well done on his yeah. part. All right, Jeff, you got a favorite character? Um, well, you guys have kind of touched on some of the big ones, but one of my favorites was Tasha Yar. She was only mm. in one season. Yeah, I had a huge crush on her. I'm not oh, gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> but a uh, really cool character. She was just kind of badass. And, and It would have been really interesting to see what they did with her when the show actually got good, which was mm. years yeah. after she, she died or her yeah. character died. Uh, but, I mean, one of my favorite episodes is Yesterday's Enterprise, where... Did you bring her back? Yeah, yeah, yeah for a cameo. Mm-hmm. Good, good opportunity for a cameo. Yeah, and yeah. another fun time travel thing, by yeah. the way. So yeah, it's yeah. An, that's an episode where an alternate universe happens, and uh, it's like she never died, and she's still on the ship. The ship's a warship now, and it was really cool. And they ended up creating this sort of loophole that allowed the actress to come back in a, a 
playing her own daughter in later episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. And Patrick Stewart did a great job in that episode, too. He very clearly goes from, like, a Federation captain to a warship captain. Yeah. And, like, Patrick oh, yeah. Stewart, in that episode, he's mean to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And he's really he's short-tempered. Totally, the vibe and, on the ship is totally different. Yeah. The yeah. uniforms he's are got different. A great, he's got a great line stuff. in that episode where I think they're about to surrender the ship, and he, like, jumps over one of these panels, and... He's like, that'll be the day. Like, yeah. yeah. I still like, remember that. That's the like, line. Goosebumps moment. Dropping one-liners. It's, oh, so, it's so not what Picard. our Picard would yeah. do, you know? It's like more of a Kirk move, jumping behind the yeah. thing and yeah. taking control. Picard, it usually is so much more of a diplomat. and, and uh, Certainly TV Picard. Yeah. Movie yeah. Picard, very, very different. different. Right. But yeah. So, do I... Okay. Before we move on from this, I just want to say, I think, you know, uh, John brought this up how... Uh, you know, Captain Picard is a great character. And I think in our, our old age now, we all appreciate Captain Picard a lot more because he's such a unique character on TV, I think. He's not an action hero. He's no. not invincible. But he's just so smart. He's a renaissance man. And he's a renaissance man. And he's he's someone that I think everyone should, should look up to and, and try to emulate because he's so compassionate, but he's also really just good at his job. And he doesn't, he's not... He's a fixed point on the ship. Yeah. And, like, you can always count on Captain Picard to make the right, right decision, decision and do yeah. the right thing. Yeah. He can be the compass. Moral for, compass. For yeah. pretty much whatever is going on. And he portrays that so well. It, uh, he's, I mean, it's its an unflattering comparison, but he's the Optimus Prime of the ship. <laughs> right? he's, just, he's just the hero. And when he goes into truck mode, it's incredible. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know what, also, if you think about, like, a lot of the other actors on the show, they they look like television actors, a Jonathan Frakes yeah. or a Gates McFadden. <laughs> Just hear me out on this, but Picard is not, like, your classic leading man guy. I don't know if... No, he... they actually did screen tests with him with... where he wore a toupee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and he took I, it off after. I, I think yeah. it was to impress yeah. Roddenberry, wasn't it? I think that's... Roddenberry, one of the other guys. Yeah, I, yeah but it's... Uh, I think Roddenberry well, actually also had a little bit more hair initially, and they were trying to like they fill would, it in. He was bit. pretty bald, he pretty early. Pretty yeah. yeah, yeah. But hmm. someone said, I, I, I don't know if this story is true or not, but I remember hearing something about a producer being like, "Wouldn't they have cured male pattern baldness by the 24th right. century?" And Roddenberry saying, "No, they wouldn't care by the 24th century." <laughs> so nice. Was, yeah, yeah, and it's a perfect argument. Ah, man. Love that show. And, and you're right. He's not your typical leading man, at least not in the looks department. There are very few shows that have middle-aged to elderly, bald, leading <laughs> men. And yet he pulls it off so well. He's such a great lead. Absolutely. Ah. That may have as much to do with Patrick Stewart as it does yeah. with the character of yeah. Captain Picard, though. Like yeah. that, that, like, he has those, that on-screen presence. Yeah, those acting sure. chops are, are for real. Okay, so uh, the series ended in 1994, and it was quickly followed by four movies of uh, varying Very quality. <laughs> so I think we can, I, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we can all say that of the four movies, First, First Contact is far. the best. Yeah. Now, yeah. So the other three, there's Star Trek Generations, where it's Picard and Kirk versus Malcolm McDowell. Then there's uh, Insurrection, which the crew goes to a planet and starts becoming teenagers, and it's a laugh riot. And uh, then there's Nemesis, Nemesis, where they find a Romulan clone of Captain Picard, who... Tom Hardy? Yeah, who's played by a very young Tom Hardy, (laughs) and he, like mind attacks Troy and there's all sorts of horrible stuff but of those three movies is there anything any redeeming qualities that you guys can think of I mean First Contact we could talk about it. we could do a whole episode of like the top five great moments from yeah, First, First Contact. Contact's brilliant we all know Assimilate that Assimilate this um, Generations <laughs> that wouldn't be one of them <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment you're crazy <laughs> well it's more up there right? yeah. No, boyish. Generations was a lot of fun um, it was the first yeah, time we got to see the next gen crew on the big screen which was important and there was always that conflict between which was better the original crew yeah. or the next gen Picard crew versus Kirk. especially the first yeah. two or three years of next gen there was a strong case for like that's not real Star Trek only Kirk so bringing them together like, like it's, it filled a hole in myself that I didn't know was there <laughs> And they blew up the Enterprise D, which finally, because God, I hate that ship. Oh, how dare you. Listen, I love Next Generation. The Enterprise D looks like a duck. It's got a big beak. It's got the stupid little peppermint deflector dish and the stubby little wings. It's a ridiculous looking ship. 
I really I, don't think we can continue the show. <laughs> I stand by it. That is a dumb look. And again, I have nothing to get. Like, the Enterprise E, the Sovereign class, Beautiful. gorgeous. Gorgeous ship. Love it. I have not, like, it's not a Star Trek thing. It's just that one, the Galaxy class starship is a joke. But does it have so, an Arboretum, mm. really? That's it has, it has a nostalgia factor for me. That's it has the nostalgia factor, sure, but it looks But it does look a little ridiculous. It's like I someone know. took the classic I, Enterprise design and crushed it into a small compressed shape. I, I can't sit here and have you say that because <laughs> it is like the ship, and I there's su- such nostalgia yeah, attached yeah. to that ship. Yeah. And when it uh, separates separate, saucer section <laughs> to... Battle Bridge, holy cow, man. Yeah, That's so the that, coolest. For our non-Star Trek listeners, if you're still even listening, <laughs> the, the Enterprise on uh, Next Generation had this cool feature where the saucer, the sort of circly dish part at the top, could separate from the engine part and they could become almost two separate ships. And it only happened, what, like three times? Three or four times. Three or four yeah. times in the whole series. And yet... Everyone talks about it. Who's a fan? Everyone loves it. I when I read that it would only happen like four times in the whole series, I was shocked because if you had asked me prior to that, I would have been like, "Well, every other episode," because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's such a it makes such it, an impression. It tends to happen in a lot of the good episodes. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Help them against the board. So just just to finalize our our duck ship talk, I can't even properly argue it with you because I can't separate myself enough. From the nostalgia to be able to look at well, it and objectively, that, but that's just like if you look, I gotta look at a picture of the bridge. I, 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 I love that place, and I wish I was there. I mean, the nostalgia that, the bridge, is there. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, but the I, layout of the bridge is silly. But I feel like that but, that argument kind of can be applied to the entire sh- show, right? Because as we mentioned, like the first going back and rewatching the first few seasons aren't great. The uniforms objectively are kind of silly, especially in the first season when they're jumpsuits. But it's again really hard to separate the 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 actual show from the nostalgia and look at it objectively. Mm. I mean, I went to a Star Trek exhibit last weekend in Ottawa and I was in heaven the entire time. Oh. And it's silly, but man, I was just giddy the entire way through. Yeah, it's, it's too bad you didn't have any so, friends you could take <laughs> with you who we might have wanted to go. Well, uh, hey. It's it's still running. <laughs> I'll go again, but uh, let's let's get back on topic. What what are some highlights? For, so generations has Kirk and, and Picard working together, uh, and and, and, again, and again, I never actually finished that idea. Like as much as fun as it, yeah, they blew up the ship. I hate. It was also a really dramatic, very emotional scene at the end of the movie when Picard is digging through his ready room. Like, the wreck of it, and finding his stuff, and right. his album, like... And it's like and, they pick up the plate, the nameplate, or is, am I thinking of something else? They pick up an That's, old book. Because he has the, the, he has the, they kill his family in that movie for some reason, for no good reason. Right. Like, yeah. so he finds a photo album. Oh. But there's other stuff there that we recognize, like there's the, 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 the tapestry on the back of yeah. the chair that he got from the Mintakins. Right. Yeah. There's the little statue, sort of like a Buddhist statue thing that he got from his, like, archaeology mentor friend. Yeah. Like, all that stuff is there. And it just like seeing what happens to that ship, to that place that we loved for so long. I remember that was emotional. About that, that was a huge moment in that show. Okay, plenty of letters left in the alphabet, though. So. Yeah, oh. right. <laughs> great line, great line. It, it was that from Generations. Yeah, yeah. I don't. No, no, that. that's from first that's from contact. First Contact. Yeah. That's when they're planning to blow up the E. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Are you sure, guys? Yeah, anyway. sure. <laughs> Leading experts here. <laughs> okay, so nothing good to say about Insurrection or Nemesis. No, no, uh, not particularly. No. What about so it was a car chase at the start? Oh, that's, that's a Nemesis. The worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Jeep the chase. Oh, it was he, he, like he drives a dune buggy yeah. off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you guys felt this way too. You were willing so to go cool. into Star Trek movies because you're just so desperate to see something Star Trek. So you're willing yeah, to go you just into it. To, and you can go with anything. Really. Yeah, you were really yeah. ready. And then when like the car chase, yeah. you're just like, "This are we really? Yeah. Is this this really is not Star Trek or something. Yeah, that's Insurrection. Gorsh? Was that a Gorsh? Something like that. And then Data makes a joke about. Oh, boobs boy. firming up. It's all really, <laughs> wow. really yeah. weird. Yeah, that that was that didn't need to happen. But that was one of the odd numbered movies. We expected it to be terrible, right? Nemesis was an even numbered movie. Like, oh, yeah, they broke it. They broke, they broke the, the yeah. they broke the pattern. It was a betrayal. There's supposedly this pattern with the Star Trek movies until the the recent reboots, where every other movie was good. 
And there, there's some, uh, are, it's definitely a strong case for that, but there are some exceptions. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, but Nemesis was the swan song of Next Generation. It was the last time we were going to see that crew. Honestly, it might have been a little bit too late. They were getting pretty old and pretty <laughs> chunky by that point. But we wanted them to go out with something amazing, but and what, we didn't get it, it. Would that have mattered, really? Uh, you know, if you think about how long those original series That's cast true. members well, but the original, for, like, the ori- I wouldn't have cared if they were old, because they were never really, as we discussed earlier, they were never really about action. Being yeah, the show action, wasn't about action that. Scenes. Well, but the original series characters owned it. By Undiscovered Country, the entire movie is them going, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but in, yeah, in Next Generation, it was like, as the movies went on, they progressively got more action-y and more... And less suited to be in <clears throat> yeah. situations. Yeah. Like, Riker having a fist fight with a giant monster Romulan. And Reman. just doesn't... Reman, excuse yeah. me. It just doesn't make sense, you know? You don't buy it. Like, he's fighting Ron Perlman, who plays Hellboy, and he's <laughs> beating him, and, and Jonathan Frakes is... Is in his like fifties at yeah, that point. He's, he doesn't fit into the uniform very yeah. well anymore. And I and... love Jonathan Frakes. Don't get me wrong. It just that stretches credibility at a certain point. Stretch the uniform. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Now before we go, let's let's talk a little bit about first contact here. Just quickly, favorite moment. The scene with um, Lily and Picard in the ready room where uh, there's Moby Dick quotes yeah. and she convinces him that his, his, his obsession with destroying the Borg is, you know, broken right. guided. If his chest yeah. had been a cannon, he'd have yeah. shot his heart upon it. And then there's it, you know, that little line where she's like, I don't know, I never read the book. She was just kind of speaking from... She was from playing them. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love that scene. Dan? Uh, <laughs> Plenty of other letters in the alphabet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we don't need to revisit that. But very quickly, outside on the deflector dish in space, you knew Lieutenant Hawk was going down. You knew he was going to die. Um, and, and he did. And uh, anyway, just like a, a great scene there, the movement in space, uh, you know, in slow motion. And uh, I think, uh, what what does uh, Worf do? Does he chop off the Chops. arm of one of the Borg? Or does he shoot off one yeah, of the Yeah, he uses like... it to tie his Oh, suit. yeah, that's a badass yeah. move. Bo- <laughs> So, there. so they're they're walking on the 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 hull of the ship and the, they're fighting oh, so Borg and a Borg too? cuts. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a knife. It's, yeah. a, it's not a tiktok, okay. but it's, okay. yeah. yeah. So a Borg hits Worf and cuts open a part of his suit, so air is leaking out, and then it cuts to other stuff, and you're like, oh man, Worf is dying, and then it cuts back to him a few minutes later, <laughs> he's just awesome. saved Picard, and he's got a, a Borg's arm tied around his leg. Like a tourniquet. To, yeah. Like a tourniquet to keep the air in. I remember something about that scene that just really stuck with me, was how hard it seemed like it was to turn those, whatever they were, to the release the deflector. The, the maglock servos. Yeah. yeah. Come on, people. <laughs> And how, how much of a struggle it was, I guess, until the one that Worf had to do, because he made it look easy. So I thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, yeah Hawk is the one who can't quite get it. Yeah, that's why yeah. he ends up getting yeah, assimilated. Lieutenant yeah. <laughs> <Ten and> Hawk. <laughs> but yeah, that whole thing was cool, though, the way they did it out in space. Jess, any favorites? Uh, I've sort of mentioned it already. The, the second scene of the movie is our first gratuitous spaceship porn shot. <laughs> uh, this is the first time we see the Enterprise-E, oh, the Sovereign so class. Good. I like he's like Picard's had the dream Borg ah oh no things are scary, cut to it and they, he's doing the captain's log monologue. But while he's doing it, we have this beautiful shot of the brand new ship, and it's gorgeous. It is a nice it's, ship. It's a really nice ship. And just seeing that in theaters, I like ah I, I'm drowning in my own lust for this thing. <laughs> I, I I can't. It, it's it's a visual thing. It's difficult to describe in audio. It's a gorgeous looking ship. Technically, how it's produced, like everything's animated, and you can see the like the busards are moving around, and like, it's just so it's like welcome back to Star Trek. It's it, awesome. It doesn't look like a duck. It doesn't look like <laughs> a duck. It's back to the classical sort of long design, much better looking ship. Similar to to for for me, one of we already talked about the line where Worf blows up a bunch of Borgs that are floating away, and he says, "Assimilate this." Uh, there's a part, I mean, it's all about turning the catchphrases back on the villains. There's a part where Data seems like he's being brainwashed, but then he really, he reveals that he hasn't been, and he smashes this, this gas thing on the side of, uh, the... Coolant. The, the cooling They're thing. in engineering, right? In engineering. Time, yeah. And all this gas comes out and it destroys organic matter, so half the Borgs are organic. So he smashes it and he says, uh... 
Resistance is futile. Resistance is futile. He smashes it. It all goes out. He saves Picard. It's a great moment. We need to go watch this movie right now. There's another great line right after that, though, where where him and Picard are, after, you know, the the threat has been resolved, Picard asks Data if he considered the offer or whatever it was, and, and he has a pretty typical response. I can't remember what the number is, but he says that he did for, like, .02 seconds or something. Yeah. And then, that, for an uh, android, that's an eternity. Yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah. line. It's a good movie. Okay. So, we're about out of time. Uh, also, we're, we're all going to go watch First Contact <laughs> right now. Um, but we love Star Trek The Next Generation so much, and it's such an important part, formative for our childhoods. If it's not part of yours, you should go check it out. And I hope that some of this has been able to bring that to you today. Special thanks again to Dan Zantz. My pleasure, thank you. Jeff Goodman. Thanks for having us. John Steven. Thank you. And, you know, my buddy Graham. Woohoo! I'm Jesse. You've been listening to Geek Top 5. Special thanks to our crew, to Ben Sound, to bensound.com for a theme song, to Stella Simeonova, and thanks for tuning in. If you want to get a hold of us, we're on Facebooks, we're on the... Graham, you know where all this is. Yeah, facebook.com slash geektop5. We also can be reached by email at geektop5 at gmail.com. And our Twitter account is at geektop5. Feel free. Listen, go watch First Contact. Then send us some stuff, let us know what you think about it. We love to talk about it with you. Thanks very much. Talk to you again soon.